0: We are in the letter of the first uh, letter to the Corinthians. We started last week, so if you're new here today, uh, you, you almost got the very beginning. <laughs> and it's uh, a letter that uh, we've talked about last week, how it so relates to our culture today, because Corinth was very much like the American culture. <laughs> so we've got a lot to learn from the letter to the Corinthians. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me? I'm going to be reading uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. I just love that, that end of our worship there when we were all singing a cappella. Wasn't that good? Just uh, singing the holiness of God. There's just nothing quite like it. When our voices join together to praise him and our hearts are really joined together, praising him for who he is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you preserve this revelation of your truth, of who you are and who we are, that you brought it down to us faithfully, Lord, that you gave so much evidence of its purity and its its uh, richness. So, Lord, this morning as we go over these few verses, we pray that we would draw from them just a bit of all the fullness that's in them, that we would our hearts would take hold of what you want to say to us through this. We know it's a living word. It's alive. So let it work in our hearts this morning. And now, Lord, this morning we want to pray for our sister Bobby and our brother Don, who are both in the hospital. We pray for their quick recovery. We pray you give them strength and help their bodies to to, uh, just recover, keep their immune system strong, and bring them back to us soon, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I think that we, in our, at our best moment, only can see or fathom just a, just a little tiny bit of the grace that's on our lives. Last week, we talked about how John 1.16 says, we have grace piled upon grace given to us in Christ and, and I think that's because we tend to think the best of ourselves. You know, I like these interviews on the street with people. You know, how if if you were to go to heaven today, would God let you in? Oh yeah, I, I How what percentage do you think? Oh, I'm pretty seventy percent sure I'm going And it's always why is because I'm a pretty good person. Compared to the next guy, or compared to Hitler, or or some monster, I'm not that bad. You know. But if we could really see the depravity that's in the heart of man, the sinful nature we were born with, I think our view of grace would get so much bigger. I've been communicating with this uh, a Buddhist friend who I met here a few weeks back, and, and he w- was texting to me about how we can make our thought life completely pure if we would just really try and focus and, and strive and do our best. And I thought, really? Wow, I'm glad you're doing good with that because I got a long ways to go. I, and, you know, I can't really say I wish him the best in that effort because the scripture says the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So really, if we think we're getting there, we're only fooling ourselves. The more we see the depravity in our own hearts, the more we appreciate the grace of God and we recognize our need for a savior. I've said this before, but it bears repeating that to to just get a little bit of an idea of of our real condition, imagine saying everything that goes through your head out loud right now in the congregation one by one. (laughs) Yikes. Or if everyone could psychically pick up on everything that's running through your brain, that would be scary. We'd probably get punched now and then, you know, in the face. Um, God does hear our every thought and every word that we mutter under our breath, even when we're in traffic. Our sins aren't just against others, but They're also against God. Do you remember when Joseph um, was was tempted by Potiphar's wife and he said, how can I sin against my master, her husband, and against God? Our sins not only offend others, but they also offend God. And that's why we, we start to see, man, I've been receiving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. So the idea just kinda, I think, touches on the surfaceness, surface of our sinfulness. And then there's unforgiveness that we harbor in our heart, anger we don't voice, lack of gratitude for all the goodness God has given us. And what about passive aggressive actions that, that we take? And I'm intentionally making us feel uncomfortable about the condition of our souls so that we can delight in the grace of God that we see in the opening of this letter. If we don't see the depths of our depravity, we can't fully grasp the wonder of the riches of God's grace that are ours in Jesus. The letter started off with this greeting that told the Corinthians that they are God's called out ones, meaning the church of God. Church actually means called out ones and that they're sanctified in Christ Jesus. And that means they're set apart from the world for God's holy purposes. It goes on to say that they're called to be saints, to be holy people. And the problem is the rest of the letter from verse 10 onward starts correcting them all the faults and problems that the church has. But we have this glorious beginning in our verses today that are just so encouraging and inspiring, but it's, it's really preparing them for hearing what their problems are. And so as we go over these opening words of gratitude, I want us to hear them as if they were written to us. We know we all have problems, we all have weaknesses, and that we're really not yet the people that we want to be in Christ. We know we fall so short of his perfection, just as these Corinthians did, and yet I want you to hear these gracious words from the Apostle Paul as if they were written to us. Verse four and five, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been, was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. So after the greeting, Paul begins his letter by telling them that he's always thankful to God for them, for these believers that are in Christ and for all the grace that they have received. It applies to all of us. I give thanks to God for all of you. And and those that are online, those that we connect with now and then, those that come to Bible studies, but not the congregation, because of the grace of God given to you and the way God's changing our lives. He's declaring, Paul is declaring what Christ has done for us at the beginning of the letter to tell them in the rest of the letter that they need to live up to this holy calling that they've received you know when I was young my mother used to tell me "Paul, you're 12 years old now so act like it right he's telling them you're called to be holy you're sanctified in Jesus so act like it that's what the letters go on going on to declare they represent Christ in the world but just as we're going to see in future sermons as we go through Corinthians they were representing him poorly Every godly shepherd is thankful for God's grace manifest in the flock. The grace I see in your growth in Christ, in your desire to read and take hold of the word of God, encourages my faith and fills my heart with gratitude for God. It makes me feel like something's getting accomplished. I'm I'm not just up here talking every week. Not just uh, meeting with you and doing Bible studies and nothing's changing, but as I see you grow in the grace of God and the hunger for the word of God, it encourages me that God's at work in you. The grace Paul saw was manifested in their speech and knowledge. The way they communicated had changed from worldliness to godliness. Because our, our conversations really expose what's in our hearts their conversations had changed from worldly topics to godly ones we can tell where our hearts are by what comes out of our mouths jesus said that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks their conversations had changed are we constantly talking about the world or about the goodness and the grace of god when a bible study is over do you think it think over and discuss what God was showing you or what you're going to have for lunch. I think we need to consider that if we spend more time thinking and talking about politics or some other subject than we do the word of God and our relationship with Jesus, something is wrong in our hearts. If my conversations constantly turn to complaints about traffic, something is wrong in my heart. I'm not spending time enough meditating in God's goodness toward me. Our speech reveals where our hearts are and I suggest that we carefully consider our speech and what it's saying about the focus of our hearts and our minds. The enrichment in all speech was, must not only mean the topic but also the way that they express spiritual truths they were they were speaking about. We shouldn't only uh, we should not only want to be focused on eternal things, but carefully consider how we might express those truths in a clear and considerate way so that others will be able to comprehend them. And one thing you can do to help you with that is write it out. You know, as God's God's teaching you and speaking to you, when you actually put it in writing, uh, there's something, a process that goes on that makes you make it clearer and more easily understood. If we come across with a better than thou attitude, who's gonna hear us? But if we communicate with love and grace as recipients of grace, people can sense that we really care about them. I think an effective method in our divided society is to ask questions like, what do you think of Jesus? Who is he to you? Have you ever read what the apostle John wrote about Jesus? You know, I wonder, what do you think? Would Jesus have the discernment to choose the right men to communicate his message? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, insert quote here, let them come to their own conclusion and then resist the uh, impulse to correct them. Instead, just take them to another verse. Ask another question. Have them read the verse and tell you what they think it's saying. The culture of the Corinthians was one that highly valued the ability to communicate skillfully with logic as long as it fit into their uh, preconceived conception of the natural world. So Paul was encouraging them by saying the grace of God was helping them communicate in a way that the Corinthians actually would respect and more likely to be able to hear. So that would have really encouraged them. Effectively, conversing is becoming increasingly difficult in our divided culture of Twitter users, which implies we desperately need this gift of grace to help us effectively communicate. But I wonder how much of them heard what Paul wrote and said, you know, you're, I praise God for the, how, your, how your speech has been transformed by Jesus and said, I wonder if he's heard me speaking lately. Surely they weren't perfect in every area of their speech, but Paul saw the improvement and he thanked God for it. And God sees the improvement in the maturing child of God and is glad for it. They gain knowledge, which probably refers to understanding the scriptures and of Jesus and his love. Now, Paul might be referring to gifts of knowledge which would be expressed through the prophets and teachers While they weren't living it out just as we often fail to live it out, Paul saw the improvement again, and he acknowledged that improvement and was thanking God for it. Now I like that bumper sticker some people have: um, "Not perfect, just in the process of becoming better," or "A work in progress." A lot of the bumper stickers say, "Improvement is encouraging because we know God's at work in us." That. Grace acknowledged this improvement in their lives. Even in so many other areas, they fell short. Verse six and seven, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony of Christ is the gospel. It's the gospel message. He died that we might truly live. Christ's testimony is seen in our transformed lives, lives that express his resurrection power expressed in the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit. These believers' lives had been transformed and they were exercising the gifts of the Spirit as they waited expectantly for Jesus' return. In the words of Jesus, their lamps were lit and they were dressed and waiting for their master's knock at the door. The reference to the future, to Christ's appearing, reminds them that even with all their gifts, they are not yet complete. What they have is only good enough for the interim. Is the testimony of Christ's ability to transform a life being seen in us. We were talking about that this morning in, in Bible study, how, uh, how the peace of God should be so evident in us that people see a difference and want to ask what's why why are you this way what what kind of hope do you have that i don't have how we need to live that that gives us an opportunity to share the gospel as we saw in verse 5 their speech was different their spiritual knowledge was such that they lived with a new focus in life and while most corinthians were living to advance themselves in this world the Corinthian church had their eyes fixed on the real prize, the return of Christ and eternity in his presence. We'll see later that in some ways they were caught up in this temporary world. But again, grace sees and acknowledges the progress despite our shortcomings. In chapter 14, we will read that the gifts were in need of some boundaries. But the point here is that they are that all the spiritual gifts the church needed to help them endure till the return of Jesus was theirs. Paul was thankful for that grace that was given to them. A side note here is that the gifts of the Spirit are a blessing to help and sustain us. But at the same time, those gifts don't mean that we're not without problems. Some charismatics in our day speak as if those without a particular gift are inferior But the gifts didn't keep the Corinthian church from sin in many areas of their lives. Without the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit can become toys that offend others. Verse eight, who will sustain you to the end? That is referring to Jesus in the previous verse. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, one of the great qualities of God is his faithfulness. We read about it throughout Scripture. He calls us into fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord, and he keeps us in Christ. It is his work, it's his doing. We experience that fellowship when we worship together, when we pray, when We sing those songs that I was just talking about. When we see his hand in our lives, we should be experiencing that fellowship throughout our day as we continually talk with him in prayer. You know, you can just go throughout your day communing with God in your heart, speaking to Jesus as you go about your business. The implication of what Paul is saying in verse nine is that because God who called us is faithful, he will keep you, And give you all you need to continue in that fellowship with his son. You don't need to be fearful that you're not good enough, don't have enough, aren't knowledgeable of the word enough. He's the one who does it, he keeps you in fellowship with the son. In countries where persecution is common, you know, I think I would think that the pressure would cause believers to crumble. But instead, I hear these testimonies of amazing growth and perseverance. And that's because God, God who called them, is faithful to keep them in fellowship with the Son in spite of their circumstances. And it seems the more intensely difficult the situation, the greater their fellowship is with Jesus. And perhaps that's because that's when we most earnestly seek him. In these first nine verses, Paul has given them one reason after another to be encouraged, and it's all based on who they are in Christ Jesus. The rest of the letter will deal with their many problems. First, he wanted them to know that they're valued, and their value and their potential is wrapped up in Jesus and all that he has done for them. And even though we have problems like the Corinthians, we too should be encouraged with the work of Jesus in our lives many of these encouraging words apply to us as well we too are God's sanctified saints who are recipients of grace the grace has enriched our lives like it enriched theirs we may not have all been graced with speech and knowledge but certainly many of you have, and others have been graced with other gifts such as hospitality and helps and kindness and music, and I could go on and on. The point is that Jesus' presence in us has given us new qualities that God values and uses for his glory. Jesus' testimony is confirmed in you as it was in them. You no longer have the same goals as the culture around us has. You live to serve and glorify your Savior. You desire to be more like Him, and that's evident in your speech and your actions, caring for one another, daily spending time in God's Word, attending Bible study groups, and you too are waiting for the return of Jesus. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless at His return. And you too have been called into fellowship with the Son, so experience it and revel in it. I like that word uh, in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, that tells us to exult in our God. It it, it literally means to jump up and spin around. I think that's awesome. <laughs> Revel in this relationship God has given you in his son. These encouragements don't just come from, from me. They come from the Holy Spirit who inspired Paul's writings. If an employer was to start a letter to you with so much encouragement, you'd want to file it away and use it in your resume. But the encouragement comes from our Lord and Savior, and it touches on his promises to complete his work in us. Be encouraged, because for it is your heavenly Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yes, there are problems to address, but he wants you to first know that he is your new identity. While the Corinthian citizens strove to make a name for themselves, the church was given the greatest identity in belonging to Jesus. It wasn't by their striving, but rather by simply calling on the name of the Lord and receiving his gracious gift of salvation. And while the culture saw this identity as ridiculous, even dangerous, The church in Corinth knew it was better than anything the world had to offer. Our culture is increasingly seeing followers of Jesus as backward bumpkins and even dangerous, but like the Corinthians, we know how blessed we are. Look back over the nine verses here that start this letter. There is a constant drumbeat that shows us what Paul is trying to communicate to this church with problems. Verse one, the apostle of Christ Jesus tells them. Verse two, they are sanctified in Christ Jesus because they're called by his name. They have called on his name. Verse three, they have grace and peace from Christ our Lord. Verse four, he's thankful for the grace given them in Christ Jesus. Verse five, they were enriched in Jesus in every way in all speech and knowledge. Verse six, the testimony of Christ was confirmed among them. Verse 7, they await the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who sustains them guiltless to the end in their Lord Christ Jesus. And verse 9, for they were called into fellowship of Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you notice anything in every verse? Jesus. Paul's about to tell them all their problems, but before he does, he wants them to know Jesus is there everything they're secure in him he's going to see them through to perfection they are sanctified saints because of what he's done not because they are already perfect or have been given spiritual gifts the author and perfecter of our salvation is Jesus and are we any different every one of those wonderful truths of being in Christ and all that that's meant for them is true of us, too. Like the Corinthians, we fall way short of what we should be, but our identity is in Jesus. He's the one who makes us worth, worthy. Our future is in his omnipotent hands, and he has promised to perfect that which concerns us. The concept of dependence on God is really rare here in our American do-it-yourself culture, but for every person who's tried and tried to be the perfect Christian and realized that we're constantly falling short, this is great news. It means the work was already done by another. It means we simply let go and let him lead and his life in us will make us overcomers. Yes, we are all works in progress, but the master craftsman is not done with us yet. And the grace we have received, along with all the promises, tell us the final product is certain to be Christ-likeness. All praise to God for what he's faithfully doing, amen? The Lord Jesus Christ will preserve us to that glorious day. We don't keep ourselves. He keeps us from falling. We sin, but he's the one who has removed our sins. And so we are positionally guiltless in his sight. We should be sinless as we walk in the spirit, but John wrote that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And when we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is sustaining us in faith and he'll do so to the end when he will present us guiltless to the Father. Now that's the best news ever. Amen? Amen? But don't just get used to it. Don't don't just get, oh yeah, I know. That's that's yep, I believe that all my life. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Be overwhelmed with gratitude again and again. There's no better news. It's the goodness of God that causes us to strive to walk in holiness and let Jesus have his way in us. His goodness and grace motivate us to love him and to desire to do his will. Now, listen to Pastor Stephen Um's summation of these nine verses as God's encouragement to you today. He writes, The Christian's identity is not self-made or self-maintained. It's the result of an outside action of God on our behalf. We are sanctified, not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus. We are called to be saints, not because we are inherently saintly, but simply because we call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace and peace we experience is delivered to us from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace we experience was not earned, but was given, a gift given to us in Christ Jesus. Our speech and knowledge are enriched in him. We are confident in our hope because God confirmed the testimony about Christ among us. And our future hope is not in the manifold gifts or in the potential of our achievements, but in the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, God sustains us to the end. He has promised to make us, the guilty, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are absolutely certain of this because God is faithful and he has called us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. The scriptures are filled with encouragement to those who would seek God's will for their lives. So let me remind, one more verse, I wanna just tack on to the end. It has just totally disconnected with this passage, but a word of encouragement as I was thinking about this, man, Paul was really encouraging them about all Christ has done for them and means to them and what he's gonna do. And it made me think of this verse from Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Mm, That's good. These truths prepare the readers for the discipline and instruction that lies ahead in the letter. And since these are general truths of all who are in Jesus, we too should be ready for whatever correction our Lord communicates to us in this letter. May the grace of God help us receive these wonderful truths that assure our hearts and give us comfort, words of grace and peace. And may the grace of God help us receive what's coming in the letter. That we might glorify God with our lives and offer hope to us who in our own culture are searching for answers. That we might be a light to them. That they might see the hope in us, the peace in us, the grace in our lives and ask of the hope that lies in us. Amen. Let's